Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. All right, welcome back to Mariners Pod. Great to have you here. Thanks for being here once again. And thanks for all the requests coming in. I'm, I'm sifting through those, so I'll be unveiling some requests along the way. Game requests and others. So that will be happening uh, in the next few weeks. In the meantime, we have a conversation I think you'll really enjoy today. It's with Andrew Herrera, who's the Assistant Director of International Scouting for the Mariners. The world of international scouting is a fascinating one, and Andrew gives us a really good look on how it works, uh, his role, what he does with the Mariners, and he does it all while going to law school at Penn. So he's a busy guy, to say the least. But he carved out some time, and I really appreciate it. And it's a really fun conversation about a world I don't think a lot of us know that much about beyond some of the basics. So let me also apologize quickly. I had a mic fail, so my my mic, my audio is not great. But hopefully you can look past that because uh, the conversation is, is really fun with Andrew. So. I start with asking him about telling us just the basics on what his role is. It's a really interesting position, and I'm obviously super, super happy to have it. Um, Essentially, uh, if you look at player acquisition from the amateur side for a a big league club, the the more common consensus is you have the the draft, you have players that are domestic, Puerto Rico, Canada. People tend to be pretty familiar with that lens, or a very large percentage of you know, major league baseball players tend to come from international. So they're subject to their own sort of acquisition process. Um, most of which tend to come from Latin America, but there's also the Pacific rim markets as well. And so I guess my position and my title and what I'm doing is sort of helping supervise these personnel that we have, you know, dispersed all across the country, all across the world, I should say, and synthesizing that information that comes in and helping our director, Frankie Thon, and the rest of our baseball ops front office here come to decisions on who are the best international players we should be signing for the future of the Mariners. You're talking about hundreds, right? Hundreds and thousands of different players all over the globe. I mean, how do you sift through that amount of information? How do you organize it? Yeah, it's certainly tough. I mean, we're comparing apples to oranges to pears at times. (laughs) You've got players from all different types of backgrounds that have come up with different ways of learning and processing the game. You see them at different points in their development career and just trying to teach our scout and our staff. We do a tremendous job of just 
trying to stick to the core values of what we're looking for when we value players, trying to keep um, a pretty standardized system in place when we go evaluating. Like you know, I mentioned, it's if you're seeing a 14-year-old player in Latin America versus a 17-year-old player in Korea, just trying to stick to what the tools are that are in front of you and making decisions off of that as opposed to maybe getting sidetracked by some of the circumstances and context you might notice when you're, when you're there. But it, it's certainly tough. You have players and one of the, uh, the unfortunate realities, and it sometimes swings to positive as well, in that there's a big asymmetry of information internationally. So things aren't quite as built out as you see with the draft infrastructure and video technology that you're able to connect and collect. Um, we're definitely, it's, it's, it's one of the last bastions, I guess, in, in baseball where you can get a competitive advantage through working hard, hustling, hopping that extra flight, going to see the extra player, just because there's not a ton of other ways to really get that exposure. Do you yourself do a lot of traveling around the world? Yeah, I've, uh, I've been very lucky early on where, you know, I'll, I'll be out in, uh, in Seattle and then you get a phone call and, hey, we need you to be in the Dominican Republic in 48 hours. So <laughs> yeah, you hop on a red eye and uh, hopefully you're there to, to get down there and see some players if you need to be. And if our director, Frankie, needs another look or we're trying to come to a decision on how we're going to, you know, allocate potential money for the future of our, of our international classes is definitely, uh, you know, an extra set of eyes, but it, it's been awesome. I've got to travel all across Latin America. I have not been to Asia yet. Every time uh, one of those trips comes to get on my calendar, one of my supervisors sort of steps in and is like, you know, I'll, I'll handle this one. You can stay here. I'll go visit Japan. Nice. The benefits of being the supervisor. Yeah. Okay. Next time. Sure. Yeah. Do you have a favorite spot? Ooh, that's a really tough question. I've been lucky to see some pretty beautiful places. Um, I've really enjoyed visiting Panama. Mm. The experiences there, very easy to access the country. The people there have been awesome. And then just the, the country itself is really beautiful. Having the opportunity to go see baseball. And then, you know, usually most of these events take place in the morning. So you have the evenings to go, you know, out and about. Our scout there, Rigoberto Rangel, does a great job of always having places, restaurants, cool sort of excursions that we can go on. So try to be a tourist when I can. Nice. What was your path to get here? I played my whole life. Um, I grew up in a, a Cuban household. My, uh, my parents had me and they were pretty young. So I spent a lot of time with my grandparents. And so I picked up the language that way. And, you know, my grandpa played when he was in Cuba and, you know, he kind of instilled the game into me and I had played my whole life growing up. I was lucky enough to play in college. And while I was looking for, you know, a career path, I, you know, exposed myself to a few different, you know, areas and sectors and nothing really sort of clicked from as far as I always just loved baseball and senior year of college when I finally, you know, said, Hey, let me, let me look at this as far as a career after baseball, because even though at the time I thought I was a pretty good college, get the, the bearings that this probably wasn't going anywhere lucrative. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was lucky enough to land an internship with the Red Sox coming out of, uh, coming out of college and I worked as a minor league in Lowell, Massachusetts. And then after that, you know, it's, I know tons of people go through it every year, such a competitive industry to get into, but I was lucky enough to, to get a position here with the Mariners as a, an assistant in baseball ops and have had the opportunity to be around some really, really talented people here in Seattle that have sort of helped me, you know, get to where I am now. And I think I try to do my best to make sure I'm instilling what we're looking for in that, you know, baseball ops office in Seattle to our scouts out in the field and the, the players and processes we're looking to adhere to. 
So what is your like day to day look like? What is like an average work day look like for you? So I'll go PC pre COVID times here. Um, okay. The, you know, it was funny cause it was very sporadic and the marketplace internationally, which is fun. It makes it exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the draft is very cyclical. It's okay. This quarter of the seasons now, and then we have workouts and it was very much and being in Seattle, obviously on Pacific coast time, I'd be, you know, asleep and you get a call at six in the morning cause it's potentially 10 in the morning with Dominican Republic. Mm-hmm. And one of our scouts is saying, Hey, I just saw this guy at uh, this field in the, you know, the middle of, nowhere Boca Chica, you got to get down here and see him. Or you got to send somebody in, or we got to get another set of eyes on this guy. And that, that can be the start of your day, which is certainly exciting. Um, yeah. there, there's definitely a little bit of that. Uh, you never really know what any particular day is going to bring. Um, I, you know, I'm a pretty process oriented guy. I try to have as much regularity. It helps me click. I think it's good for the department just to have some sort of calendar and sync, but mm-hmm. It, it does make it exciting when you have the opportunity to say, Hey, you know, I, my plans this week are this, but there's a chance that if, if things change, you may have to be in a different hemisphere in a couple of weeks. So you have scouts all over the world. How often are you in communication with a scout in the Dominican and a scout in other spots in, in Asia and Latin America and everywhere else? So I, I'm very thankful. I don't have to see what my phone bill is in the Mariners. <laughs> <laughs> Absorb that. We, uh, I, I think I'm in more group chats than I can count. And it, it makes it fun. It's, uh-huh. it's not always the easiest conversations when you're communicating higher up to people about like, Hey, so where's the, the backlog of history? And it's not always professional to be like, Oh, I have 700 text messages <laughs> that I can show you and videos taken, but well, we do a really great job of communicating. And, you know, the, the group that we have, you know, despite different cultures, backgrounds, at least I'm speaking for the, the Latin American group. Uh, we've had the opportunity to bring them together at times. A lot of them are former Mariner minor leaguers who have a lot of pride in being Mariners. And they're just a really fun group of guys that don't take themselves too seriously um, and are very free flowing. They're not afraid to to sort of stand out on a limb at times, which um, I think is good. I think it's nice to to see that you have scouts that are really passionate about what they're doing and they really want to bring in talented players for the future of the organization. So um, at times, a little bit of over-communication, but I'd rather that than it's always, um, it's an uncomfortable feeling when you find out that another organization signed a player and your scout was maybe a little hesitant about bringing up the name or just, um, you'd rather have the over-communication than the latter. Take us through a theoretical signing. What, what does, I know everyone's probably a little different, but what does like a typical sign look like from the first time a scout lays eyes on to an actual signing. Like what does that process look like on the international scene? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, unfortunately, a little bit uh, of what's been the trend lately is that that period where we start working with players has sort of gotten younger and younger. And it's mm. MLB is working very hard to potentially instill like a, a international draft in the future to sort of combat what's going on. But um, normally players sign on July 2nd when they turn 16 of any you know, particular year. Generally, we'll, we'll reach out to the agent early on. We'll, we'll try to start to form a relationship. Generally speaking, there's usually two or three other suitors in the market. So I think it was a, an Andrew Friedman quote that if you're always willing to be the, the lowest team on a player, you're never really going to get any good ones. You know, ho- hopefully you, you get to a place where, hey, this is 
what we value this player at, we're willing and we're comfortable and you reach some sort of you know, preliminary agreement. And then it turns into a place where now there's this limbo of the player is going to be a Mariner in a couple months when he signs, but what do you sort of do in the time being? And, you know, within the, whatever parameters MLB sets for us, we try to make sure that they're adhering to programs and they're adhering to certain, you know, if we can get something like a training philosophy or just making sure and keeping tabs with the agent and how he's training and how he's doing physically and healthy. Um, and then once the last sort of, uh, administrative steps come along, just physicals, medicals, and then the actual contract signing, which is always a fun, it's like a national signing day here in the yeah. United States. And we'll fly down there. We usually have like a banquet hall set up uh, in Venezuela, Panama, Brazil, and have all the guys, you know, come in, sign their contracts and officially become Mariners. I mean, it's amazing because I think about it every time I see an international player sign and I just think about all the hours that go behind what it takes to sign just one player, uh, your hours, scouts, hours, organizational hours, how much work it takes when, whenever a signing happens, how much that represents, how many hours that represents. Yeah. And I really, I can't stress enough just the, the credit a lot of our guys and our staff on the ground deserve because they do all the heavy lifting. I mean, it's easy for myself or for my supervisor, Frankie, our director to fly in and see the good players there. They're sifting through the weeds, seeing the, you know, that first layer of the funnel, so to speak, and trimming down the player pool. And they really do a tremendous job. So hats off to them for making my life and my job so much easier when I do need to travel down there and see players. And as I understand it, you are doing all of this while you're in law school. You're attending Penn Law at the same time. <laughs> Do you sleep yeah, at all? How does yeah, I am. I was so. Um, I guess you hate to say it, but a, a silver lining, so to speak, and how this calendar overlapped with um, potential law school calendar is that most of my classes were virtual. So. Uh, West Coast team, East Coast school sort of worked out where I could do my classes in the morning and then in the evenings uh, attend any kind of calls or anything I needed to be on. International travel essentially, you know, didn't exist for the last couple months. So that, that made it possible. Mm. And then a little bit of burning the midnight candle, midnight oil with uh, some readings late into the night, uh, more espresso than I'd like to admit to. But um, no, it's, it's been awesome. Justin Hollander is a you know, former law school grad as well, a former attorney. And so he understands. And when I approached him on the, on the subject, he was super receptive and Jerry as well, very receptive on the idea of, you know, never a, a bad thing to pursue more education. So, um, hopefully can, can utilize it for the benefit of the Mariners going forward. Um, I know we have a, a couple different avenues that we use notaries internationally and just, you know, my, my own two cents that the game seems to be becoming more globalized every year, every couple of years. So something that I hope can be of a benefit to the, to the org going forward. Are there places in the international scene that you think will become baseball hotspots? Are there developing places of interest for you? Man, I'm, I'm really sounding like a tour guide for the country of Panama right now, but wow. um, I definitely think that's one. Um, it's unfortunate. I think Venezuela right now is going through um, a very difficult time, obviously, with what's going on in the country there and obviously with the pandemic. But um, they do a really good job, I think, in that country, in both of those countries at the at the Little League level. Um, I think the unfortunate thing about what you see a lot of the times in the Dominican Republic is that a lot of the players aren't taught the fundamentals of the game. They're just taught to showcase very well. And you'll attend some of these workouts and see things by teenage ball players that 
I remember from my own days as like a 22 year old, I wasn't able to, you know, capable of doing that. You see, you know, home runs and 60 yard dashes that are like, whoa, that's, that's impressive. But like the, I guess the flip side of this was, I remember we had a, a player in our organization, Guna Masako, and I'm going to get, throw Guna under the bus here. One of the most like accomplished young players we've ever gotten in our system. He could have gone on to be a, a doctor in Brazil at the time, but he chose to come play for us in, uh, in our minor league affiliate in uh, the Dominican and tremendous physical you know, athlete. And he hits a double into the right center field gap. And rather than turning to go round first and go to second, he just sprints through the first baseline. And he had never really played in an organized game before and knowing that like, oh, I'm supposed to then banana turn and go to second base. So it's sort of at the, at the very lower levels, you're still teaching some of the fundamentals of the game. But I think both of those countries, to answer your question, do a really good job of teaching the game to a lot of the international players. And then you see some really special athletes that once they sort of have the grip of that can, can really excel. Is there a player or two that really stands out that, that you've been able to sign or help sign that you're really excited about in the organization? Man, um, I'm probably going to catch some flack for this, but uh, there's one third baseman that I, I particularly have, I'm very fond of. Um, his name is Milker Perez in our system. He, he's, he's coming up right now. And he, he's an interesting story because he was from Nicaragua, which is not, you know, historically one of the hotbeds of baseball. So very much a, a hidden gem. And he came to a workout um, and he flew in on a red eye, got to the, you know, landed in the Dominican Republic, drove over to our academy and just as a 15 year old, as a switch hitter from right, from right side and the left side, just really had a great day at the plate, showed great actions on defense. And it felt like we sort of shoot him off a little bit. And I, I felt pretty like, Hey, we should, we should pay attention to this guy. And one of our old cross checkers also was very adamant at the time. That, hey, this guy's, you know, really quite an accomplished player. He used to be with Houston, our old cross checker and said that they wanted to sign him ideally, but didn't have the money. But uh, we were able to sort of, you know, work out a deal with Milker ahead of time and, and bring him into our system. And he's done, done extremely well. He's one of the better players on DSL club last year. And um, it was certainly something where had myself and our other cross checker, I think not spoken up a little bit. He's not the prototypical young lean uh, international sign is a little bit more heavy set, but at the same time, he, he really showed a lot of what we're looking for. And I think so far he's done a really good job and uh, hopefully continues to excel as he moves up. Finally, you mentioned the academy. How important is the academy to what you do? Oh, it's it's immensely important. Um, and hats off to I know it's one of the newer ones. I think it was built about little almost two decades ago now. But it is having had the opportunity to go in there. It is, if not the premier, like one of the most first class academies that we have down there. And it really makes a big difference. And the, the cliche in the international world is always that money talks and when you're comes down to the, the brass tax of things, you know, the, the player or the team that's getting offered the most money, they tend to gravitate that way. But even getting past that, I think we do such a tremendous job with the Academy of having a, a really clean, comfortable, um, just a really tremendous place for these players to sort of cultivate within our system and become young men and become tremendous ball players the way we'd like them to eventually become. And, uh, Certainly, you know, 
one of the, if not the premier academies down there. And it, it shows, I think we've done a really good job of, you know, at, at times I'll go a couple months without seeing a player and then they come back and you see them after a few months and they feel like they just matured and exploded. And they all seem to, to love it down there that they, they tend to form really good bonds. And it, it shows even with our, our scouting staff, a lot of the guys that were there when, when they were ball players still remain really close with a lot of their former teammates. Mm. Well, Andrew, it's been great to get you uh, to get to know you a little bit. Thank you for the time. We really appreciate it. Yeah, Gary, thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.